411-LIVE. Well, you can learn about issues that affect us every day. Stay the world. 411-LIVE. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl. Wisconsin has been called the hub for sex trafficking. Milwaukee has been kind of labeled the Harvard School for Pimps. Those are labels that have persisted. We are a nonprofit organization, the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. We explore human trafficking, specifically sex trafficking. The mission is to bring awareness to the problem and to talk about it and continue the discussion. There are a lot of questions surrounding it. We explore those questions. We explore the answers. Today, we have a special topic for you. It's called Arrest and Release, the Revolving Cycle of of the Sex Trade. I have a special guest here who has a lot of insight about this uh, topic, and I am so grateful that she is here. Jean Girasi, she is the Executive Director of the Benedict Center. Welcome to you. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me on. Oh, it is our pleasure. We talk about, we, and here with the 411 Live, uh, I'll stop right here. I just want to make sure that you as the viewers, the audience, that you feel a part of this. So please send us your comments, your questions. Um, we welcome that. And we want that as part of the discussion. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked about this revolving cycle. Mm-hmm. When I say that... Um, I'm thinking in my head, say uh, a person, a woman goes through, gets arrested for prostitution Mm -hmm. in the criminal system, comes out, and it starts over again. There is nothing in between to help or intervene. Is that oversimplification? No, not at all. I think that that has been the traditional approach of... um, cities across America and certainly Milwaukee, uh, that we have, uh, we criminalize those in the sex trade and especially women in the street-based sex trade, they're extremely visible and therefore, um, uh, frequently the focus of law enforcement efforts. So we're missing an opportunity. Absolutely. So where do you, uh, how do we change that, change that dynamic? I know that Benedict Center has started a program. You had a pilot program, kind of that intervention being the key. Thank you. You're referring to the pre-arrest diversion program that we piloted uh, a couple years back. Uh, it was actually in partnership with the Milwaukee Police Department and the District Attorney's Office. And the idea was, instead of giving um, somebody a, a ticket or arresting them, they were given an option to come into the sisters program, uh, which is our program that specializes in in outreach and support for women in the street-based sex trade. And so they they could have an option to uh, take advantage of services in our program in lieu of that that arrest or that ticket. And it was very successful. So we're looking forward to uh, trying that again. So when you talk about um, success, Mm -hmm. how do you measure that? That is a great question. It's very important to us that we do evaluate and measure our success. So we were actually partnered with the Medical College of Wisconsin to their Healthier Wisconsin Partnership Project. And 
so some of the statistics um, that that came out of that evaluation, 71% of the women who were diverted by police to our program completed the terms of the, the diversion program, mm-hmm. which is a high success rate by any measure. 21% of the women reported being able to, within one year, quit working on the streets for at least a month or more. And we also measured, uh, because we're harm reduction and we measure progress and steps, we also measured women's progress towards their own self-identified uh, goals, case management right. goals. And that number was around 56% felt that they had made progress towards uh, at least one of their goals in that in that time period. When they get into this program, what are they working on? It's, it's really interesting because each woman has a unique mm-hmm. story and a unique set of needs. And really the most important thing for us is to first uh, establish a safe place that's low barrier for their entrance. And we can begin with just building rapport and trust because women really have lived lives that don't give them a lot of reason to trust anybody. Right. In the interim, uh, what we're providing first are very, very basic needs. It can be a meal. It's a safe place to sleep. It's clean clothes. It's triaging and connecting to medical care or crisis uh, support if if uh, they've recently been assaulted, which is also unfortunately very common. Right. Then, where does she want to start? Is is really the question for some women that might be housing, for some women that might be. Um, it, it, it might be going into a treatment program for substance use. Uh, for some women, their biggest motivation might be reuniting with their children. Yeah. Um, and and maybe they have a case and they're and they're saying, "Well, I I need help to work on this." But you know that there's a lot packed into that. So yeah. it's really about um, meeting her where she is, finding out what she wants to work on, letting her be the expert. Let's go back to that where. Um she, that arrest part, Mm -hmm. whereas uh, she encounters law enforcement Mm -hmm. and they do that diversion and send her your way. Mm -hmm. Um, So when they're looking at this person, maybe they don't see that she is a sex trafficked victim, but there may be other things involved. Uh, Because I'm just thinking, you know, homelessness. Yes drug abuse. You know, there are so many factors that could put this person in this situation. Absolutely. It's very difficult to tell just by looking at somebody whether they currently have a trafficker or a pimp or somebody is forcing or coercing or manipulating them uh, to be out there. Yeah. We also don't know what's happened in their past. What we do know is for women in the street-based sex trade, the risk of experiencing violence, being victimized by violence, whether that's physical or sexual assault or even homicide, um, the high level of substance use disorders, especially now that opioids and heroin have hit our streets. And that's high. It is. Um, And uh, women, you know, when um, it, it... we have been hearing it repeatedly, and I tell the story. Alderman Stamper came to visit our programs a couple of years back and asked, "What's the number one thing that the city could do to help you mm-hmm. get off the streets?" And the group of women that um, had sat down to have a conversation with him unanimously, and we did not prep for this, unanimously said housing. From there, we actually did a survey with the medical college and learned that fifty percent of the women that we surveyed were either precariously housed 
which means couch surfing, Mm -hmm. um, or they were literally homeless. Wow. So we need to think about this uh, issue as an, and, and consider different frames, different lenses, as you did, homelessness, substance use, trauma, yeah. poverty. There's so many different factors coming into play. But the other thing you, you talked about, which is uh, the police might be doing an operation and they might stop someone. It's pretty hard for a police officer to know unless they've been doing some like off-distance surveillance and yeah. observation. Uh, really whether um, she is trading sex for survival or whether she is being uh, actively trafficked in that moment. And what's more, women have no reason to trust the police. That's true. To say, hey, uh, yeah, this is actually what's going on. Or be too afraid to to say for fear well, of being hurt. Right. You know? And when I say trust, I, I partly mean trust that the that there's anything that anyone could do yeah. to actually help her get away, right? Right. Um, also imagine if you have, and, and traffickers do use drugs to control, mm-hmm. uh, use addictions to control women, uh, the idea of going through withdrawal is a painful experience. So the idea of going in for help, if that means that yeah. I'm also going to be cut off from something that it gets is me through be ex- the day. Yeah. Well, or frankly, just the physical withdrawal symptoms are so very, very painful mm-hmm. that people will do a lot just to avoid that pain. It's not so much about chasing the high as much as avoiding the pain. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's huge. When we talk about a lot of times, uh, and we've done several of these episodes, mm-hmm. and we talk a lot about uh, risk factors in. Sex trafficking, you know, mm-hmm. risk factors, uh, the things that a trafficker would zero in to get that person into the trade, you know. Yeah. Um, and when I had the conversation with you yesterday, and we kind of talked about risk factors mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. and you were mentioning some interesting things to me. What have you guys found as far as some of the risk factors? Thank you. Well, first, note that we're working in the city of Milwaukee. Uh, and we started off, and you started off saying we need to expand this narrative, right? Yeah. Um, continually, I run across people when they learn what we do. They say, "Oh, sex trafficking," and then the very next thing is, "Is it really like that movie Taken with Liam Neeson?" Right. And uh, I'm not going to say that that doesn't happen somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I also come across uh, women, white suburban women, who think is my kid going to get kidnapped right off my front yard? And again, I'm not going to say that that never happens. There are kidnappings, there are abductions, but um, studies are showing, uh, at least in Milwaukee, for um, youth who have been commercially sexually exploited, there are in fact risk. There are in fact risk factors that mm-hmm. we can identify in the medical college. Uh, and Mallory O'Brien, uh, you can go to their website and find um, a couple of. Um, Uh, reports or studies right now, but the majority of minor victims that were identified in the city of Milwaukee were African-American girls. They were, by and large, coming out of a foster care system. And in many cases, and we're learning this, when uh, a teenager is reported missing more than twice, there's an increasing risk that, in fact, she is now being commercially sexually exploited. And so whereas... Uh, law enforcement used to tell parents or, or guardians, uh, teenager, she ran away, she'll be back. 
Right. Uh, we're not going to go look for her. Um, I think now law enforcement is starting to realize that that strategy needs to shift and that that's a really high indicator that that someone might actually be in trouble. Wow. You know, I think about um, kids kind of coming out of foster care and getting in there. And I'm thinking, you know, you're in foster care. And this is not, of course, a universal statement mm-hmm. or a u- universal mm-hmm. thing. But you're getting out of foster care not sure what the circumstances are. And it could be, you know, okay, I'm 18, I'm out. Right. Now, what? Right. You know, and they don't have that support system. That aging out. Right. And so it makes them very vulnerable. Absolutely. And I think organizations like Pathfinders mm-hmm. uh, are are really in the lead here in the city, focusing on young people who may have run away they may have been kicked out. LGBTQ kids are at high, high risk um, as well. Uh, youth in the foster care system. Um, I think St. A's also is is really trying to zoom in and focus on this as well to wrap around and understand that. It's, um, you know, when we think about the law enforcement uh, and criminal justice approach to, um, uh, to, to sex trafficking, it might be easiest to identify minors as victims of sex trafficking because automatically by their age, they, are, victims. they are considered victims right. under, under the law. Even still, though, I think we need to dig down. I think the community needs to investigate a little bit further and look at our juvenile justice system and consider of the juveniles that are caught up right now in our justice system, what's happening to them and what has happened to them. And I think that we'll find a high correlation. And so even, uh, you know, we one of the Benedict Center's concerns is the ongoing criminalization of women in the street-based uh, sex trade, which uh, is our focus. Right. But also youth who are really in trouble are also being criminalized. That's a good point. And so we talk about that school-to-prison pipeline, right? This yes. Is, yes. This is really all feeding into our prison industrial complex, frankly, Um, this idea that we solve problems with the criminal justice system as opposed to taking a public health approach, understanding root causes, understanding um, uh, social determinants of health, uh, understanding that your zip code, your race um, are are big predictors of what's going to happen and, and what undergirds that are systemic causes. And, and that's where things get a little more complicated, right? It's not just about a bad guy, a pimp, a trafficker trying to mm-hmm. groom and take advantage of somebody. It is, and that's a crime, and that person should be held accountable. But also we have to look at what are the uh, system failures that are setting people up to be vulnerable, to be at risk, to be yes, uh, yes. swept up into it. You know, it, it almost seems like, you know, for law enforcement, there has to be, there needs to be an arm within law enforcement that deals with the mental aspects mm-hmm. of it, the, the you know societal aspects of it to really get to the root cause. I mean, it's just not breaking the law and this happens. There's so much more to it. There really is. I think that's one of the biggest challenges for anyone in law enforcement right. is that uh, often they are called uh, to respond to some of our most complex 
uh, issues. Mm -hmm. And they aren't necessarily uh, equipped with the resources uh, or the personnel with the skills to deal with some of those issues. And so I don't think it's just, in fact, I think we're we're looking too much to law enforcement to solve this issue. And I think we need to back up from that and realize we need a more comprehensive cross-sector approach. We need to bring in social services. We need to bring in public health departments. We need to think about prevention and about social services that are going to help people who have already been victimized by a variety of things. Right. It's a big issue, a big problem. Um, it's it's like all hands on deck. It is. You know, it, it is. is. It's too much for one entity or here, here, Thank Everybody. you. Thank you. No one agency, the Benedict Center, cannot do this by itself. Uh, for us, partnership is really, really key. Um, some of the partnerships we're working on right now to try and actually make some systems changes. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, we have a partnership, um, an ongoing partnership, as I've mentioned before, with the medical college. And so uh, one of the things we're working on is how to increase women's and by when I say women, I mean women uh, in our target population, how to increase their access to housing. And so we decided to start at the beginning with the assessment. So when someone's homeless or needs housing, uh, the idea is that they're supposed to be able to call 211 and get an assessment, right? right? Now, a lot of community members will express frustration. I've called 211. I was on hold. I had to wait a long time. They asked me a lot of questions just to tell me that there was nothing available. And I don't think that's just 211's uh, fault per se. One of the issues is that there's just not enough shelter beds for everybody who needs it. We have a housing crisis. In a big housing problem. That's yeah. right. But it turns out that when someone is homeless, they're prioritized based on their risk and vulnerability. And we uh, started, as we started to talk with Impact 211, realized women who are homeless in the street-based sex trade may not be accurately assessed because they're not necessarily going to be forthcoming with what's all going on in their situation. And so if they're asked, well, where'd you sleep last night? And they say with a friend, they're not going to say, I actually had to trade sex in order to have a place to sleep, right? Those are two very different things. Right. So we're working with them to change that assessment. And um, that's looking promising. This discussion is really good. So thank you for that. We're going to take a break. Thank you for listening and joining us. If you have comments, uh, questions, share them. We we are very interested. But we are going to take a break. We're going to continue this discussion, and we'll be right back. The 411 Live, your link to information. And now, here's your food for thought. Who's ever wanted to be a pimp? The sad truth is, a pimp is not all money and glamour. There's a cost. The cost of young men and women you steal from their homes, screaming children you take from their mothers, selling them off to go make money just so you can spend, have you no shame. They are people. People you are forcing to do as you tell them. Where to go and who to lay with. As you sit and count your money, it's so sweet to you. The thought never crosses your mind. What if that was my child? My son? My daughter? You don't stop and think about them to you. They're a product, waiting to be bought and rented. You care little for them. You risk prison, risk death. Because of what? Money? You'd be killed for money. Shame, you'd go to prison. Give your life away for money, not me. I'd rather give it for my family, protecting my kids from you. Who wants to be a pimp? Knowing all you must give up for money, would you still say yes? For more information, visit the411live.org. Parents. 
It's time we opened our eyes to a huge issue happening right in front of our faces here in Milwaukee. That issue is sex trafficking. We might think this would never happen to us or even our friends and family, but it's actually closer than you think. Traffickers are targeting our youth and finding people who seem vulnerable. They do this just to take the innocence they have away from them. Sex trafficking is a non-stop growing issue in Milwaukee, and that's why we need to come together and get educated about sex trafficking. Let's keep our family, friends, and youth safe in Milwaukee and open our eyes to the signs of sex trafficking. For more information, visit the411live.org. Welcome back to the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. We're talking with Jean Jirasi, who is the executive director of the Benedict Center. We've been, uh, we've gone the gamut, uh, Mm -hmm. but when we ended, we were talking about housing and Mm -hmm. the critical need for housing and, you know, the people that you are seeing, that's kind of number one. That's what they're telling us. So that's what we decided to lead with. How do we... Uh, address the fact that there is not enough affordable housing available to them, mm-hmm. and 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 how do we overcome that? So before we were talking about how it's more complicated, but that doesn't mean that there aren't some very concrete things that we yep. can do. And so we've set forth to create a number of partnerships to start to address, uh, first of all, some of the systemic barriers for access to housing for the women in our program. So... It- when they're looking at, they call 211 or wherever they go, mm-hmm. and they're saying, I need housing, I need that assistance. But in their, their journey, mm-hmm. they've you know, done things in order to survive, and that may include a criminal record. Mm. So is that like that red mark and that's hurting them? Well, that's not the red mark that hurts them when they call impact two one one. Okay, but those are not the questions. Um, where the criminal record absolutely does stymie people down the road is when they perhaps have gotten to a place where they have a source of legitimate income, a voucher or a social security disability or a job, mm-hmm. and landlords won't rent to them because of their criminal record. We train landlords that in order to be good landlords, they should do background checks on people. Right. Uh, also, public housing has um, uh, policies that say if you have a um, certain kind of criminal record and prostitution is one of them, you also cannot qualify for, uh, for public housing. So that takes away a big source right there. It really does, which goes back to why arresting women and... Uh, creating a criminal record for them is in the long run actually more harmful than helpful. Right. It keeps them in that revolving cycle. Absolutely. Wow. And the same is for jobs. We recently worked with a participant in our program who applied for a job interview. And even though we had worked with the municipal judge, Judge Mosley, who's mm-hmm. excellent and um, helped, she had 17 open municipal tickets mostly for loitering-prostitution. Oh, wow. 17. How's she going to pay that? Yeah. So so we work with her, um, the city attorney's office, um, uh, Heather Hugh and and, and Judge Mosley, and and we get those things taken care of. She goes for a job application. Those tickets are no longer open, but they're still on her record. And the employer says, sorry, these are just too recent. Mm. 
these are the kinds of things that are keeping people trapped, which isn't really all that different from anyone who's justice involved, right? Right. right. Um, but this is this is you know when people think about sex trafficking, I think they're thinking about victims, and uh, and and not realizing that in many cases victims are still being frankly blamed and and criminalized and stigmatized. Right. It's hard, kind of hard to come from victim to survivor. You know, to moving on when you have these these traps or these right. things that keep, you know, pulling people pulling back them down. back. And these are systems. These yeah. are policies. These are things that in our democracy we can change. And that's why things like looking at uh, the possibility for expungement mm-hmm. uh, uh, effort that's being led by Clean Slate is so important. It's why we need criminal justice reform. I mean, because frankly, anyone in the justice system is is being caught in these systems. And and I'd like to encourage our community to get past the idea of trying to think about you're either a good guy or a bad guy, yeah, a victim or an offender. Those are very uh, blurry lines when when you really take the time to listen to someone's life. It's a it's a matter of reframing mm-hmm. and rethinking the whole mm-hmm. the whole way we look at the system, mm-hmm. you know, and the more we do that, the more we can actually help people That's right. to move forward. That's right. To get past That's the right. past. Exactly. And so here's where I'm excited. Uh we started partnering with the Milwaukee County Housing Division. Okay. We applied together for a grant with the U.S. Department of Justice and received a grant. Um, yay. To, yay. <laughs> a federal grant to create a, a diversion program for women in the street-based sex trade who use heroin or opioids. Mm. So we have at the table the Milwaukee Police Department, the District Attorney's Office, the City Attorney's Office, uh, and, and law enforcement, right? And we're engaging mm-hmm. in them and talking about what would it look like to try this pre-arrest diversion piece again. And we have to look at the other side of the equation. What are we diverting people to? And when there's waiting lists for shelters and for housing and for residential drug treatment, it can be pretty hard to say, hey, um, instead of arresting you, we're going to give you this opportunity, um, but you're going to have to wait two months before you can start. Mm, yeah. But don't don't do it anymore. Right. You know, right, that right. doesn't work. Right. So we are also partnering with the housing division, with BHD, with um, other service providers to say, how do we create a more comprehensive continuum of services for that women? bridge? Yeah. That's right. So we're mapping that out. And if there's ways that we can create um, wins just by um different service providers knowing about each other, that's Mm -hmm. great. What we suspect, though, and what we know is that we're also simply just going to need more resources. We're going to need funding for housing for the specific population. We're going to need resources for treatment for the specific population so that it can be on demand. When someone is using opioids and they're ready to get off, they shouldn't have to wait. Right. Because that window is open now. Exactly. May not be open two months from now. Exactly. And then let advocates and service providers and the Bennett Center is not the only one out there. There's Fresh Start. There's Inner Beauty. There's Pathfinders. Mm -hmm. Work with people on the front end in terms of building those relationships of of trust and um, support and walking uh, that, that journey with women. But we also have to make sure that the resources and the services are lined up. Right, right. The things that you are saying are very encouraging. So, um, and I'm making the assumption that all of this is in the works mm-hmm. and people are talking and it's it's moving. 
maybe slowly, but it's moving. It's moving. We're talking. Milwaukee people listening, there's always a lot of talk. Right. Um, uh, Some of the exciting pieces of this project, though, is that we're not just uh, a task force that's creating a plan. We actually are creating a plan while we're, um, uh, you know what they say, building the airplane while you're flying Mm -hmm. it. So in our drop-in center, we have a drop-in center on the south side. Very soon we'll be reopening our drop-in center on the north side in neighborhoods where street sex trade is, is very prominent. And, and we want to be very accessible for women there. We have housing navigators with Milwaukee County um, Housing Division working with women in our drop-in center. Uh, so we are assessing people's housing needs and, and, and working hard to connect them to the resources that do exist. Uh, we also have a warming room open seven nights a week so that during the coldest months of winter, women can at least come in from the right. streets. There are uh, substance use uh, uh, treatment facilities available through UCC, Meta House, even the Benedict Center. Um, and so it's not to say that there are no resources. It's just that there's gaps and there's waiting lists. So we are currently, as we speak, working with approximately 300 women a year Wow! in Milwaukee, just in those two police districts, uh, districts two and three, um, and, and helping walk with them and, and make uh, those steps, right? And that's just our program. You know, yeah. Let's get Pathfinder here. Let's get Interview right. here. Let's get Fresh Start here, and Convergence, and uh, some of the others. Uh, even uh, the Sojourner Family Peace Center and the Milwaukee Women's Center um, are, you know, uh, part of that. Um, so um, I, I do think that there's hope. Yeah, it we sounds t- like it. I'm, I'm I'm encouraged by the things that you're saying. Thank you. We just want to. I think for for what's important to the Benedict Center is to get the word out there that. We need to call on our policymakers, uh, decision makers, to look at policies and decisions that are actually going to provide the services that we need for prevention and for treatment and for support for people to exit. And that this can't be only law enforcement-led strategy. And that's not to say it's not really important to work with law enforcement and that there's not a role for them. Mm -hmm. It's just they can't be the only tool. Right, right. And for, for the policymakers, it may be re-education for them so they can get on board. I think that that's true. I also think that some of our elected officials are very sensitive to residents and neighborhoods where this is happening. Residents are calling and saying, hey, do something about this. That's an important part to mention. And they're calling the police and saying, hey, do something mm-hmm. about that. And so elected officials are are doing their best to be responsive to their constituents and so these are um, the the other kind of component to the work that we're doing is engaging with neighborhood associations, Lindsay Heights, um, Clark Square. We're working with Southside Organizing Center and uh, Walnut Way, um, and and some of the other neighborhood uh, associations to engage with the community and and start to have discussions and say how can we be working together mm-hmm. to come up with long term solutions that will make your neighborhood, our neighborhood, safer for everybody, for the women and for the um, and for the other neighbors. Absolutely. Jean, for people who are, um, if they're watching it, some mm-hmm. people are just listening, but it, either case, if there um, is an organization, an agency that says, you know, we need to be a part of this network mm-hmm. in working with that, or if there is someone who says, I'm in crisis, I'm ready to take the steps 
to get out of this, to move forward, don't exactly know where to turn. How can these two perspectives, how mm-hmm. can they get say, get in touch with you just to get some answers? Absolutely. Well, certainly call me at the Benedict Center, mm-hmm. 414-374-1774, or go to our website, which is www.benedictcenter.org. If you're a person who is somehow coming across this and watching this and you need services, call 211. Mm-hmm. They can connect you to the Sisters Program or to one of the other service providers. If you're willing to let them know what's happening, they will keep it confidential. They're not going to call law enforcement. They're uh, definitely understanding this issue uh, differently. And, um, and, and, and we'll take it from there. The other thing, too, is... Um, there may be someone from law enforcement. Mm. We've talked a lot about Milwaukee mm-hmm. because Milwaukee, we're you know, they're exposed to a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But sex trafficking and these kind of problems are happening everywhere. Absolutely. But other entities may not be as up to date or as aware as you know somebody in Milwaukee who has had to deal with it a lot. Would they? Would you welcome them, law enforcement? you know, calling you? Um, Certainly. And in fact, we have um, given presentations when we were doing the pilot uh, pre-rest diversion. Mm -hmm. Um, The Rockford Police Department and Sheriff's Office actually came up to District 3 in Milwaukee, and we co-presented MPD, DA's office, and the Benedict Center what our model was and how that was working. We've also um, been a part of some national cohorts um, that are working on pre-rest diversion. So um, Open Society uh, Fund actually um, supported a a cohort of eight cities that were working on these kind of pre-rest diversion programs, not just for sex workers, but also for low, uh, low-level low drug offenses. Mm, mm-hmm. um, because very similarly, going into the criminal justice system doesn't help someone whose primary issue is substance use. It's right. treatment that they need. So why why wait to have them go all the way through the system to then get referred, maybe? Why not just divert them immediately to the to the treatment and the social support that they need? Um, but but coming back to, to Wisconsin, one of our concerns, and we've gotten involved um, in some communities where we learned that uh, a police department's idea of doing a sex uh, uh, trafficking operation would be to have some uh, detectives or officers pose as prospective customers or Johns and actually um, uh, answer uh, internet uh, sites where mm-hmm. uh, people might be advertised and in, and invite them to to come and um, and provide uh, some sort of sex-related service, sometimes even adding on, hey, can you also bring some drugs? Ah. And it becomes a bit of a trap, right? And in, and in some cases, they're actually uh, inviting women from Milwaukee to come up to a smaller town um, up north mm-hmm. and then arrest them. Wow. And then they'll say, well, you know, uh, they have their version of trying to figure out if someone's uh, being trafficked or not, but she's not going to say offhand that that's the case. And so the police will say, well, we couldn't prove that she was being trafficked because she wouldn't tell us. Uh, but so we had to tra- we had to charge her. Charge her with right. prostitution. And then a press release will come out and say, hey, look at us. We're We're doing something about sex trafficking and we've made 50 arrests. 
who did you arrest? Did you arrest any traffickers? No. You've arrested women, and in, and in some cases, you've racially profiled African-American women from Milwaukee. Oh, wow. And so that's where we've also started to try and come in um, and do education. And um, I think one of the things Wisconsin needs to do is have some more uniform policies for training and procedures mm -hmm. for, for police departments and how they're running these kind of operations. Because I can see with that operation, you know, putting out this feeler, you know, for soliciting and her coming, I could see a woman being driven by a trafficker up to that site. Yes. But if they, if law enforcement were to say something to the man, he was, I don't know, I'm just driving. I'm just her friend. I'm just her ride. And that's absolutely what was happening. Oh, wow. And and so um, and she would say, yeah, he's just my friend. I paid him to give me a ride up here. So the trafficker walks away, right? And she gets charged, right? That's not helping. That's not sex helping. trafficking victims. It's not helping anybody. So this is where I think continued education and understanding of um, of the issues and the complexities around them are important. It's why I would encourage people when you hear about. Um, say uh, there was an operation and we rescued so many victims, I would, I would encourage journalists and the community to ask some follow-up questions. What happened to them? Where are they now? Good point. Was it just the minors that you rescued and the adults that you were, and, you know, and so you've arrested some adults. Are those traffickers? Are those buyers? Or are those... Uh, whether you call them sex workers or whether you call them uh, victims, but um, too often it's adult women who are being arrested. And in many cases, those young people who are being quote unquote rescued are not necessarily being uh, helped in the long run. In many cases, they're, they're also um, caught in a bit of a revolving door, right? Maybe yeah. they're returned to the home that they ran away from. Maybe they're returned to the foster care system that they ran away from. And then it's just a matter of time before the trafficker picks them up again. And the cycle continues. Continues. Jean, this has been a great conversation. We've run out of time. <laughs> we, we will need to have you back again. Yes. Jean Jarossi, she is the executive director at Benedict Center. She has been a wonderful guest. Thank you so much. Our topic has been arrest and release, the revolving cycle of the sex trade. And I think we hit it pretty good. So thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. We are here at the 411 Live. This is a nonprofit organization. So we welcome you to help us to continue what we do. Go to the 411live.org website and you can contribute. And we would greatly appreciate that. And of course, from what you've heard about the Benedict Center, it's also a nonprofit. So I encourage you to go to their website as well. You can find us, like I said, we've done what, over 20 episodes already? You can see those past episodes. We uh, are on our website, of course. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, um, iHeartRadio Podcast, um, uh, the Instagram. We're in a little bit of everywhere. And we welcome your comments and your suggestions about future episodes. We really appreciate that. But for now, this is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. I'm Beverly Taylor.